And we welcome you on into another episode of the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. It's Mitch Spinell and Mitchell Bala here. And for the first time in, let's say, 18 seasons, ladies and gentlemen, we start off this episode on a Cleveland Browns victory Monday. This is a huge, huge episode that we're going to get to today, and I'm very, very excited. So before we get into that, obviously, you guys know, follow the podcast wherever you listen to it. Uh, we're also here on YouTube. Be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the bell. And, you know, we're on BigTimeSportsOhio.com. Mitch, like I said, man. It's a good, good Monday. Not just for the Browns. We'll also get into some other stuff throughout the show. We got the Guardians. We got the the Buckeyes and everything. But this last Sunday in Carolina was one of the more eventful games of the first week of the NFL season. And, you know, it busted both of our expectations and the pickums. But we would happily sacrifice that because the Browns are 1-0. and And it didn't seem like they should have been seeing what, what happened near the end of that game. Mitch... Take me through your experience, man, with, with Browns versus the Panthers. Well, first off, Mitch, to you and to everybody else out there that, you know, celebrates accordingly. Happy Victory Monday for the first time in week one. Uh, fun fact for you. I'm going to give it to you now at the beginning of the show. The last time the Browns had a week one win, Twitter wasn't a thing. So this is the first time in franchise history the Browns have won week one of the NFL season with Twitter being a thing. Uh, glad I'm able to experience it. But Mitch... You want to talk about thinking the team looked as good as we thought they could look, at least in terms of offense with the running backs and the defense in the first half, and then having the same old Browns thought creep into your head in the second half, and then probably most of Browns nation, you know, having their head up against the wall and the couch, praying, whatever it was with Cade York lining up for that field goal, whirlwind of emotions. But to your point, and I said it last episode, you can go back and listen to it. I, I pick against the Browns for a reason because I feel like every time I pick them, they win. Um, but this was one where I fully picked the Panthers because the Browns don't win week one games. They just don't. It had been since 2004. And here we are 18 years later. They finally did it. It's victory Monday in week one. And it's more than just one victory Monday, Mitch. There was plenty of teams in Northeast Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, and Columbus, Ohio this weekend that really put on. We'll definitely get to that very soon. I mean, as far as uh, the things that we wanted to get to, the, the, the Browns defense, like you said, the first half, unbelievable uh baker mayfield looked lost at times he wasn't you know getting a lot of great throws there were a couple of sacks uh for his from his former teammates and then it, it was a complete switch from the first half to the second where there were a lot of big plays that were given up the highlights being the busted play that christian mccaffrey ran for 28 yards that set up a later touchdown uh, i believe that baker ran in for and then you get that 75 yard strike which was very eerily similar to last season in kansas city in the first game of the season where the chiefs uh, had tariq hill break away and then the uh and then kansas city ended up winning that contest but this one they somehow pulled it off, and you drafted a kicker in the fourth round for a reason. Cade York has had a lot of hype this preseason. He can you know, kick it from 60, 65, 70 yards away, apparently. A uh, great kicker out of LSU. But I even said, the before the last kick of the game, 
I these were the moments that I needed to from him to show that he was the future. And the kid came up and did what he had to do. That kid could have made it from 60 to 65 yards yeah. out from where the kick ended up hitting the net and he ended up hitting it from 58 yards out. Well, that was that's one that's one way to start your NFL career. First game and you nail a 58 yarder to seal the victory. I don't know if you if you heard, but I know you were working yesterday, obviously, because uh, we both have jobs outside of this. But he was dreadful in pregame warmups. He was he missing said, yep. distances from extra point range to field goal range. He was actually there. There was a you know one show I listened to. They said they were sitting there thinking, "Oh my gosh, we wasted a fourth round pick on this kid because here's the moment, right? He's getting ready for his first game, and he is shanking them left and right and can't get them there. And then lo and behold, he goes." But he had four field goals yesterday, yep. uh, two extra points. So just great job by the rookie. Calm, cool, collected. You knew he had it in him because he did it in Florida or at LSU, excuse me, at Florida. We saw in the fog before. But oh my gosh, one to know. There's just so much to talk about about this game. You, Mitch, the one thing I'll say, you saw the very worst of Baker Mayfield and the very best of Baker Mayfield, which we were accustomed to seeing. You saw that in the same exact game because in the first half, he was dreadful. He was getting booed off the field. In the second half, our quote-unquote top five defense looked pretty pathetic at times when you let Robbie Anderson get behind every single person in your defense for a 70-some-yard touchdown pass. And, and then the whole same old Browns thought started creeping in when you had a couple penalties. You had guys, guys missing their assignments. There was the one play pass play on an out route to the sideline to Amari Cooper where Brissett missed him and Cooper got up, took his helmet off and walked straight to the bench, just furious. And you thought, Oh my gosh, are these guys going to implode already in week one? They didn't. And that's the first time we've ever seen that in this type of instance. And it's hopefully for good, th- just a sign of good things to come because that's the type of game. They're going to probably have to play a lot with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. And Mitch, there was times he made some throws and he listened, he led the game winning drive. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. though that they probably could have had some more points on the board and they didn't. And unfortunately it was because of Joe Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. There were a couple of points there in the first half. And especially once it got into the next uh, 30 minutes that I, I really started to get nervous because he went 18 of 34, hundred, well, just 147 yards. And then he did get that touchdown to Kareem Hunt, which was just, just a, 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 a loaf of bread being tossed in the basket to him. But I got to be honest, there were times where I'm thinking, is this really the guy we're going to have for the next 11 games is coming up? And to be fair, he like you said, he did get that drive down the field. Got a bit of a break there with uh, what, what was a roughing roughing the passer, uh, the hands to the face, egregious. basically. I saw it. It was just hands to the face. Couldn't, couldn't get hands off. Those dangerous hands to the face. And then there was that weird intentional grounding that wasn't intentional grounding because he went up to the thing and then he didn't i i i was confused at that point it was it looked awkward there's no doubt about that anybody who watched the game can say it looked awkward i didn't hear jim donovan's call on it yet the reason they could they didn't call it intentional grounding apparently is even though it looked awkward how he did it his one foot stayed planted apparently right well and, and so that was the the difference between calling intentional grounding and not but it looked very awkward i hadn't seen a intentional grounding or a spike looked that awkward before, unless it was a fake spike actual play. Yeah. There were just a couple of questionable calls earlier in that game. You you mentioned, we mentioned the touchdown pass that uh, Brissett had to hunt, but the play before that, which was a long uh, attempt to Cooper 
first of all, this play that happened, I about had an aneurysm on it because Brissett was about to run into traffic near the, both of the lines. He th- he's rolling to his right a little bit. He throws across his body. It's the it's the biggest lob of a pass anybody threw on that Sunday, and it's easily intercepted in the end zone. But because another one of the defenders basically pulled Cooper from the from the back to the ground, it was an obvious pass interference call. But if you don't get that. That's the easiest interception I've ever seen in my life. That was one. That was those were more of the things that made me more concerned about Brissett. There were there were some key throws that he made. Donovan Peoples Jones, by the way, it was the most underrated player on the field yesterday. Yes. He had some yep. of the most key third down receptions, diving for so many of them. And of course, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. We have to shout out as well. Chubb, 141 yards, even though he didn't get a score. And then you know there were some moments where, uh, with Kevin with 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 Stefanski, I. Thought he he called a fine game. It wasn't anything I thought that really took away from the the game for the team. It's just there were there were a couple moments where I was thinking like that's an interesting play call there. And there was the one uh, strategy that he utilized near the end of the first half where I believe he I'm trying to go run this through my my mind again I'm, and see if you can help me out on this. He the Browns were trying to they they use a timeout or they set up like they were going to go for it on fourth and goal. Mm-hmm. They were a considerable distance away from the end zone. It was the seven yard line. Yes. Goal from the seven. So it was technically fourth and seven, but you have to score. Otherwise you turn the ball over right near the end of the first half. And Carolina had two timeouts at that point. Carolina, it seemed in a desperate attempt to get themselves settled because I don't think anybody expected the Browns to not kick a field goal in that instance, which they ended up doing. Carolina used a timeout. And people, there was a split between fans I saw where people were wondering, did Stefanski just trick them into wasting a timeout if they get the ball back with like half a minute left? Or was it Matt Rule messing up and basically giving Stefanski a gift? Uh, I, I wasn't sure on that one. I think it depends who you ask. Because I, for one, know that I didn't care what was going on. I was absolutely furious because they had already done it, uh, I believe, on the first drive or yep. second drive of the game where it's just like, Look, the kicker paid off yesterday. You drafted him for a reason. He comes through. But at the same time, I was yelling at in the first or second drive when we went for it on fourth and fourth and three or something. But we were yeah. in field goal. I'm sorry, not field goal range. We were, on, we, were, we were on our side. Yeah, we were on our yeah. side of the field. And we're like, oh, well, you know, he might be able to do it. But you don't want to. Ri-. Stefanski even said after the game, he didn't want to, like, make his make his right. rookie kicker go out there and have to just boot these long kicks in his first ever game. That that That's hard for anybody. Right, but I I didn't know what was going on when they put the offense out there on fourth and goal from the seven because honestly I just expected they were going for it because yeah. um as as some people know there's a lot of teams in the NFL and not a lot actually it's probably more select few that are at least open about it about using the analytical approach to you know hey if you run one of these plays on this down and distance at this time of the game you know you have a X percent chance of executing here and I'm not it's cool and all, but at the same time, at the end of the day, it's football. And these are, these are grown men doing their jobs. Um, I was just happy Matt rule bailed us out. And some people think that it was a chess move by Stefanski for the Panthers to use a timeout. Um, that we'll, we'll never really know, but it worked out in our favor. And those three points were absolutely massive. Um, as if you don't get that, we're not kicking a field goal at the end to win the game. We're going for a touchdown. So now, I mean, you mentioned Baker, look, the guy did a lot of good things here. Did a lot of not so good things here, and and, and the split up is is final. We're not we're never we're not going back at this point. I I for one am personally happy we didn't give him the satisfaction of being able to 
being able to create the narrative of, okay, some people thought I was wrongfully ousted out of Cleveland in exchange for Sean Watson. And then you come back mm-hmm. in your first game. If he had had, you know, the game of a lifetime, uh, like he did, let's say 2020 against Cincinnati, then yep. that would have been the one where it's like, all right, did we make a bad decision? The first half, it looked like the Browns absolutely made the right decision. And then the second half, he gets that whole bit of a run there. He gains confidence as he keeps making these big plays. Yeah. And and give him credit in the postgame press conference. He came off like a guy who, you know, could could at least lead this this Panthers team. I, he didn't. There wasn't any outbursts after the game. There wasn't any excuses being made. He just said, just didn't happen today. And I gave him credit for that. But I also, at the same time, didn't want to give him the satisfaction of, and the Panthers fans the satisfaction of, we got one over on you. Now, good luck with the, with whatever you're doing. Right. And at the same time, though, I not that I, I have to be careful how I word this, and I think you're going to know how I'm trying to say this, but would that not have been just the most poetic thing ever for Baker Mayfield, who everybody claims could not lead a game-winning drive in Cleveland yep. to lead a game-winning drive his first game as a Panthers quarterback against the Cleveland Browns. I that's yeah. And I literally told my dad before the game, I said, I swear, if I have to watch Baker Mayfield lead a game-winning drive today, I'm going to lose my mind. And of course, he does that, and they kick a field goal, and I'm just absolutely besides myself down here in the man cave thinking, oh my gosh, we're going to lose after this is the one thing that everybody ripped this dude on for four years when he was in Cleveland. Whether you, you know agree with it or not, it's just like we're going to lose like this, but we came out of it. But Mitch, to your point, he, he handled it very well after the game. He did. Um, and at the same time, there wasn't a whole lot he really could have said. I mean, his QBR is 37. Um, but that literally I think has to do more with how bad he was in the first half. And yeah, give credit to the Browns. They, they knew how to defend Baker. They had him for the past four years. Some of these guys on defense went against him in practice every day for four straight years. You knew what his weakness was, but it was almost like they took a page out of the Pittsburgh Steelers playbook against us the past few years with all the tip balls in the first half. What did we see Monday night football last year in Pittsburgh? And that just absolutely dreadful game. I think it's probably the worst game I've ever seen Stefanski coaching, but they had six or eight tip balls or passes at the line of scrimmage. Yes. And and you just saw the Browns just say, okay, you know what? We're not going to really blitz a whole lot here, but everybody else drops back. We'll just jump when he goes to throw it. And it worked. And you know, that's the knock on him being so short, but at the same time, Browns fans, you kind of have to hope that he gets it together here because they play the AFC North this year, and you want to hope that he can somehow go 3-1 and one versus the AFC North and those three wins coming against the Bengals, Ravens, and Steelers. And we'll definitely talk about those teams uh, coming up after this break. And really quick, shout-out to some defensive uh, members of the Browns. Miles Garrett, obviously, getting a pair of sacks, was the defensive player of the game. MJ Emerson had five tackles in his first uh, game, four of them solo. John Johnson had seven of them, even getting up in front for a couple of uh, – uh, I think he had half a sack there, so that was interesting. So, one and zero, man, one and zero. Browns are one and zero. It's all that matters. They take on the Jets next week. Uh, you know, I'll have more confidence in that game than I had in this one. But you, it's but as this week proved in the NFL, you never know who's going to come out and be victorious. So when we take a quick break, uh, we'll come back and talk about more. We'll go around more of the NFL right after this. When others treat your fries as an afterthought, all you're left with are cold, soggy fries. That's why Wendy's new fries are ones you won't forget. Guaranteed to be hot and crispy, or we'll replace them. We're talking natural cut, skin-on fries, perfectly seasoned with a hint of sea salt. In fact, they're even preferred almost two to one over McDonald's. These are fries so hot and crispy, they beg a new question. What would you like with your fries? Trying them today, only at Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's, taste preference based on a national taste test by an independent research company. 
Buying a home has never been so affordable with record low interest rates. Hartzler's Quality Housing is ready to put over 40 years of experience to work for you. Family owned and operated since 1978, Hartzler's has a wide selection of model homes on site with a knowledgeable team to help make your new home a reality. Open six days a week, visit them off I-77 in Dover or online at Hartzler's.com. Hartzler's Quality Housing, quality from start to finish. You deserve the best. And at Ferris Chevrolet, Buick, Cadillac, Toyota, that's what you get. We consider you the customer to be part of our family. Anybody can make promises, but when you visit Ferris, you get the Ferris deal from a Ferris wheel. So if you're looking for a car, truck, or van, think Ferris. Hard work is something you're accustomed to. Van Nostrand Young understands that principle. Our access is achieved with organizations like Grange Insurance. Safety and prevention specialists utilize our VanCan assessments process to ensure that you and your colleagues are in the best hands. You want the safest environment for your business, and we can guide you there. Call Van Nostrand Young Insurance in North Canton at 330-497-1867. And we're back here on the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. We're going around the NFL after talking about the Browns' week one victory over the Carolina Panthers on this victory Monday. So, Mitch, we're going to stick in division at first because what the hell happened in Cincinnati yesterday? I I don't know. You saw uh, the fact that, I don't know if you want to say the Super Bowl hangover is real as a team, but it was definitely real for Joe Burrow. Um, He was absolutely dreadful, and... I guess I can see it now, and maybe I was blinded when Baker was our quarterback, but at the same time, I just I can't believe that the, the media just picks and chooses who they want to go after, and they just give guys free passes because I have seen not a lot on anybody ripping Joe Burrow for some of the plays he had yesterday, just throwing the ball into triple coverage of Jamar Chase getting picked off. I mean, he looked dreadful. The Steelers' defense looked great, as we always expect under a Mike Tomlin-led team. The Steelers' offense looked abysmal, as we kind of expected. Yeah. Uh, Joe Burrow was still sacked, I believe, five or seven, five to seven times yesterday, which already he's leading the NFL again. And I told you last episode, I still wasn't completely sold on the Bengals O-line, even though they spent money on it. Um, but Mitch, if I told you that the game was going to come down to who had the healthier long snapper, would you have believed me? Because that's literally what happened. The Bengals long snapper and people, you take a long snapper for granted. Look what happened. The Bengals lost the game because they didn't have a long snapper. And somehow, some way. The Steelers won to avoid having two ties on the same day, which I know we'll get to the other tie here in a little bit, but the Steelers want to know um, you'll never, ever see me root for the Steelers, Mitch. I'm a Browns fan. Uh, that's a sin, let alone on a Sunday root for the Steelers. But the silver lining is I still think the Bengals are the better team. That win could ultimately help the Browns in some way, shape or form when it comes to tiebreakers later this year, if they just take care of their business at the same time. Oh, certainly. I mean, seven sacks, by the way, is how many times uh, Joe Burrow was knocked down yesterday. Four interceptions, three of them in the first half. And a I fumble. Be- I be- Yeah, five turnovers in, in overall. I mean, that's I think it's some- how some people were expecting Gobisky to look in the in the game yesterday. But he didn't look terrible. 21 of 38, 194. But this is, again, the offense was for Pittsburgh wasn't good. It no. just they were able to stick it out and it does come down to the, was it a missed point after at the end, at the end that Cincinnati yeah. was going for, yep. it was blocked, was blocked rather not missed. And then 
There was a, a couple misses in overtime. The Steelers had an easy chip in at the end, and there was it was laces out uh, with the with the one holder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, they actually ended up getting it at the end from a pretty lengthy distance. So, you know, it, it would have been nice to kind of see them tie just to get uh, – for the sake of just seeing ties in the NFL in general, but also right. – um, so that would help us in the standings. So we could be the only, well, not the only AFC North team in first at the end of the day, because, uh, well, actually, no, before I get to the Ravens, how about this TJ Watt leaving with a pec injury and that could cause some significant time lost for him. Najee Harris leaving with a lower leg injury. People, exactly. People forget that. I mean, that's, um, you don't, I, I don't care. I'm not one to ever no matter what the hate is, I don't root for injuries. Um, now, no. if a guy gets hurt, obviously it can – people are like, oh, you're cheering, he got hurt. It's like, well, my team's playing him. It's going to help us a little bit. But at the same time, T.J. Watt, they're, they're fearing right now, per reports out of uh, Pittsburgh, a torn pectoral, which if it's a full tear you're looking at, he's probably done for the season. A partial tear, they're hoping he could be back maybe around November, December. Um, Najee Harris, I haven't really heard what the real diagnosis was. They took him off the field immediately to the locker room. He was back on the sideline for the rest of the game, but he never entered again. He was still in uniform. All all we know is it was a lower leg injury that took him out of the game, but two brutal blows if they're both out, whether it's just for a couple of weeks for Najee Harris or whether they're both lost for a significant amount of time, brutal blows for the Steelers. It might be a list Frank injury for Harris. That's uh, uh, reportedly is not expected to be serious, uh, okay. but it, it doesn't say whether or not he'll miss any time coming up here soon. Uh, as for the other AFC North game, there's not much to talk about. Ravens beat the Jets 24 to nine. Lamar Jackson played fine. The, the bigger the bigger thing is that he ended up turning down that last contract mm-hmm. extension offer, and he's going into the season basically playing at, on a bet on myself year. Yep. So he's going to have to return to his 2018 MVP status if he can if he can convince the Baltimore Ravens to give him the money that he wants, which was reportedly not enough, uh, even no. though it was almost fully guaranteed. Yeah, but it was not near what Watson was. And remember, people, what the Browns did with Watson isn't necessarily what it's going to forever be, but it is a benchmark for these players when they're arguing what they want, and that's obviously what Lamar Jackson's going for. Uh, but to your point, Mitch, he played fine. Nothing fancy 17 to 30 213 yards three touchdowns one interception um he took two sacks but they won as they should right i'm it was the jets playing a backup quarterback joe flacco who's on his last legs of his nfl career um shockingly threw the ball 59 times which that's not going to be the most times you heard a quarterback throw a ball in this episode you'll just have to stay tuned to the end for that one but he did not he did not throw the ball 59 times i did not know that before we started recording today 37 of 59 for 307 yards one touchdown one interception joe flacco did so obviously the old Who, arm still has it who's the running who's the running back running back for the they're, they're running back by committee it's michael carter and Brees hall but the oh they, god team combined carries that's, for 83 yards and then joe flacco had one carry that's insane okay so yeah. looking over some of these other games what what were some of the ones that really stood out to you there were a bunch of you know single point games there were a couple of very close ones a couple of blowouts in there that were a little surprising at least to me like what were the ones that kind of caught your eye well first off let's just start with thursday night football the bills absolutely dismantling the los angeles rams mm. that that shocked me right you could have said the bills were going to win i could have said yes i think i picked the rams on our episode for pick them this week um i did not see a 21 point blowout coming in that game, but Mitch, other games that were great, the Saints and Falcons comes down to the last place. Saints block a field goal to beat the Falcons. Yep. Uh, the Bears and 49ers actually, I don't know if you saw, they actually played at a water park yesterday instead of a football field. <laughs> um, they were playing on a slip and slide, it looked like. Uh, the Bears, though, 
Mitch, I told you I had a weird feeling that that was the one game this week I could confidently predict and the bears yeah. won 19 to 10. Uh, Justin Fields outplayed Trey Lance weird, you know, kind of weird. Like before the draft, when they both came out, Justin Fields was the better quarterback, but Hey, you know what? That's not the time or place. Eagles lions was entertaining. Eagles got up by a lot, but Mitch, the one that the one that was wild to me in the one o'clock hour was the Colts and Texans. Yeah. The Texans were up 20 to three at one point heading into the fourth quarter. And the Colts just looked like they still had Carson Wentz at quarterback pretty much. And they came flying back. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Ryan, I I think has been a considerable upgrade from Wentz, even though Wentz actually played pretty well yesterday up against Jacksonville and won 28, 22. Um, Yeah, that was that was strange. I didn't know what was going on with Houston. They got out to a good start. What was going on with Indianapolis more specifically? And then the fact that both teams couldn't scratch a point in overtime, obviously not the way the Colts wanted to start off the season. You would expect that to be an easier win against the Texans. But alas, I mean, now we're looking at uh, I mean, who would be in first place in the AFC? Well, they would be now because the Titans lost to the Giants. That's that's what I was going to say. The AFC South, no team won a game yesterday and two teams played each other. The leaders in the AFC South right now are the Colts and Texans at 0-0-1 because the Titans and the Jaguars both lost yesterday. NFC West also went goose egg for this weekend, too. We also have, uh, well, no, no. Actually, tonight, would well, Monday would determine that. Um, obviously, the how about this? The Vikings, like, beating the Packers by that much? Like, what is, is this receiving core for Pat, the Pat Green Bay really that bad? Well, uh, uh, just a, a PSA to the Green Bay Packers and their defense and their defensive coordinator. It usually helps if you cover the wide receivers, no matter who they are, um, let alone Justin Jefferson, who was just running wide open all day yesterday. Um, maybe maybe they'll have a different game plan when they play them again in Green Bay this year. You'd have to hope so if you're a Packers fan. But the Vikings took it to them. It was an aerial attack. Cousins, 23-32 for just 277, but it was – Really not that close, but at the same time, Mitch, I got an argument with my friends. When it was 20 to 7, they said, this game's over. I said, guys, no. Who's the quarterback of the Packers? Yeah. They said, doesn't matter. This game's over. No wide receivers. I said, guys, I've seen it too many times. And they got down there numerous times, but had to go forward and forward down and couldn't convert. Yep. Aaron Rodgers looked at just, I thought he wanted to, you know, harm Miserable. Team. Yeah. I mean, there was numerous plays where he dropped a ball in a bread basket right through the wide receiver's arms. Wide receiver will bubble excuse me, wide receiver bubble screen to the rookie out of North Dakota State, Watson, who never turned his head around. The ball goes right past his head. It was just, it was a rough watch, but keep in mind, folks, the Packers were the one seed in the NFC last year. They lost three games and they lost week one to the Saints last year. I believe it was like 41 to 10 in Jacksonville. This could just be what happens every year. The Packers just don't care enough to get ready for week one. They want to see what other guys do. And we'll, we'll find out quickly here in the next couple of weeks, but I'm not overreacting so much in the Packers. I am buying the Vikings after one game. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, as far as the other games, Chiefs kind of putting it on the Cardinals, 44 to 21. I mean, what do you expect from Kansas City? I do expect Arizona to get off to a bad start. I said it in the last yeah, show, I, I believe. And then I, I think this is going to be a bit of a continuing one. I also said the Raiders would get off to a bad start, and they did 24 to 19 over the Chargers, although I expected the Chargers to, um, to put more points on the board maybe not the most points on the board and still have the Raiders end up beating them like uh like certain other people thought um and then let's 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 talk about this last game the Philadelphia Eagles are going to win the NFC East at this point it's over it's over it's It's first off first off a round of applause for I believe we both picked the Eagles to win it before the season started no we Uh, didn't 
Oh, you picked the Cowboys? Yeah. All right, then I'll just go ahead and give myself this a pat is, on the back. This is I over. Did, it's, I yeah, did it's pick over. Eagles to win the NFC East before the season started. But uh, to your point, Mitchell, I'll, please go back to your take. So Dak Prescott is going to be out after getting hand surgery which uh, for an injury he sustained in the 19 to three loss, the Dallas suffered to Tampa Bay last night. That was not a, that was not a pretty game to watch in, in, in Cowboys stadium in AT&T state, whatever it's called at this point, Jerry's world. It's embarrassing. That was embarrassing for Dallas in Tampa Bay mm-hmm. looks they're going to, they're going to be fine this year. But the big story obviously now is that Dak is going to be out for what? Six to eight weeks at this point. Yep. Could be longer. Cooper Rush is going to be the guy. Like, it's over before it began. It is over before it began at this point. <sighs> so, yeah, that that those are our that's our recap of it. We're gonna say. Well, I think we're gonna save uh, what. I, I just want to say that the Buccaneers at the same time, Mitch, didn't look all that impressive. Leonard Fournette looked that impressive. Tom Brady looked like somebody that wasn't yeah. there preseason. And yeah. this goes in with everything, right? The Cowboys are done. Um, I just. It's hard to ever be if you know really pick them. On uh, the NFC East, I believe has not had a repeat division winner since 2007, if that's correct. So you knew it was going to be somebody else this year. Bitch, I don't think there's any coincidence that if you went through the NFL yesterday, Aaron Rodgers we know doesn't play in the preseason. There was a lot of teams and a lot of players who didn't play in the preseason. There was two teams that played their guys in two or all three preseason games. And those two teams looked the best out of every single team this weekend in the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. There's no coincidence there. The guys that didn't play in the preseason looked terrible. Tom Brady, like 18 to 27, 212. Yeah, sure. Good game. They won 19 to 3. Still didn't look what we expect out of the guy who just led the league in passing last year. Sure. Jacoby Brissett, you could see, only got what, a half with the Browns? There was mm-hmm. numerous times yesterday where you saw teams that didn't play in the preseason and it came back to bite them in the butt. And the Bills and Chiefs already after week one look like they're on a collision course to meet for the AFC championship. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I know I, I ended up picking Bills and um, who did I pick for? Uh, I almost didn't pick the Chiefs make playoffs. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you didn't. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Bills and I'm going to figure it out here one way Ravens. or. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I think. Yeah. It's one of the, it's going to be one of those three teams, I believe, at this point. But uh, I want to get your guys' thoughts on that in the comments down below. Uh, what were some of your biggest surprises of the NFL was Week One? We also still have to get to the chart, the Broncos and Seahawks game, Monday night game. That was the second biggest um, reunion, revenge game because Russell Wilson is going back to Seattle, um, but it's not. It didn't have the same revenge game as Baker Mayfield's was. So, uh, yeah, we'll get to more on that right after these uh, quick messages. We all have 206 things in common. Our bones keep us up and moving. And we at Cleveland Clinic Union Hospital care about every single one of them. From the tip of your finger to a brand new hip, our orthopedic experts will keep you going while keeping you safe. For every break and breakthrough, for every bone and joint, for every care in the world. Get the care you need when and where you need it. Visit unionhospital.org. It takes a lot of practice to have a winning team. Alban Title has over 100 years of combined experience handling real estate, title, and escrow transactions. They serve Tuscarawas, Stark, Carroll, Harrison Counties, and more. 
So choose Alban Title for your next home refinance, sale, or purchase. They'll get it done quickly and professionally. Contact Alban Title at 330-334-5800 or visit their website, albantitle.com. Let them put their experience to work for you. matter. Everyone plays a part. We all have a role. Each of us can make a difference. You do matter, and the best way to have a positive impact is to pay it forward. With each of us helping one another to cope, feel better, and know that we belong. Pass on the positivity today. Tell someone else they matter too. Alt Care. Alt Care. Where you matter. Fall is in the air and part-time career enhancement courses at Buckeye Career Center are on the horizon. Registration is now open for introduction to beekeeping, basic small engine repair, and sign language. These part-time offerings run on Tuesday evenings and begin in November. Let Buckeye Career Center help you learn a new skill or advance your current skill set. Call 330-339-2288 for more information or to reserve your seat in one of these or our other part-time classes. And we're back here on the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. We just got done talking about the NFL uh, week one. So now we're going to transition over to baseball as we had some action over in Minnesota this week that I don't think Mitch could have gone any better for the Cleveland Guardians. A sweep of the Minnesota Twins. Uh, They are now two and a half games ahead of the White Sox now in the AL Central because Minnesota has dropped a third in the in the division, four and a half games out of first place in what is now essentially a three man race. It's been that way for about a week or, or a few weeks now, maybe even a few months, depending on who you ask. Mitch, this like you couldn't again, you couldn't ask for a better result if you were Cleveland, especially with some of the results they had uh, the first two games up in the Twin Cities. The only result you could have asked for differently would have been that you didn't have to use Emmanuel Classe Saturday night when you go into the ninth inning up six nothing. That's right. it. That's really it. You had not only did did you go three zero and you sweep the Twins and you knocked them to third, you build a lead up in the Central. But we talked about this last week. You went into the weekend with your top three arms and your starting rotation going. That was a huge plus for you. The Twins were coming out of a tough four game series one of which they played a doubleheader, and one of those games went 13 innings, I believe, 12 or 13 against the Yankees. Their bullpen was taxed. This is a team that the Guardians were already in their head after the last time they played back in July when they ended the game with back-to-back walk-off home runs, one Naylor, one uh, Andres Jimenez. It's huge, and now they control their own destiny, Mitch. We entered this stretch. You have the Angels starting today while you listen to this podcast for three. You miss Shohei Otani on the mound. Now he'll still be in the box, which... It's never an easy task. And then you go White Sox one, Twins five at home, at Chicago for three. And that's real. I mean, we've been saying this, I think, since the podcast started, Mitch. This is where you're going to figure it out because you can kiss the wild card goodbye. No matter which team it is, the AL Central is only getting one team in the playoffs because last time I checked, I believe the White Sox were still six and a half, seven back in the wild card race. Yes. Not enough time to make, not enough time to make up ground in that, but it was perfect for the Guardians, right? It was exactly what you needed. Now, not only are you in this team's head, at least winning the last five when you've played them, I believe, if I'm correct, they come to town in literally five days and you play them for five. And your goal should be to win at least three of those five. And you should have, you know, pretty much kicked the twins to the side and it should be between you and the White Sox. Now, the White Sox obviously got the advantage this uh, past weekend playing the worst team in the American League in the A's. Um, They did lose Sunday, but 
it's a team, Mitch, that we've said it over and over. They may be the most talented team in the division, which is always going to be a worry. And they started to play well. But as for me, I'm ecstatic in where we are right now. If you would have told me back before the season started, hey, would you take them being in first place by two and a half games on September 12th? I would have ran to the window with my ticket and money. I don't know. I can't wait to. I want to know how you feel and what you expect this week. It's a huge week. No, it was a great weekend. Five and one, by the way, on the road trip between uh, Minnesota and Kansas City. And then with this Angels uh, series starting tonight, you all you got to do is not get swept. If you, if you drop two games against them, I'm still okay with it because then you're going into get into it against Chicago and the White Sox will take on uh, Colorado here in the next uh, two days. So those could go either way. And then, of course, you have the makeup starting on Thursday. I'm looking at it more of as a nine, as a nine-game stretch. Uh, between uh, September 14th and I'll say uh, September 22nd because that's where you have the makeup against the White Sox at home. Then you have the five games against the Twins and then the three in Chicago. Though that's, that's going to determine in all likelihood who's going to win the division. If the Guardians go on a tear here, then it, it, they're going to leave both teams in the dust. If the Twins can really take advantage of the five games they have over in Cleveland, then they could easily get back. I would say this. If Minnesota doesn't win three of the five games, maybe even two of the five games there, then they're out. They're out at that point. Um, And then it's going to be between the White Sox and the Guardians. And then that three-game series in Chicago is going to likely be the deciding factor. Now, obviously, the Guardians have uh, four five, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games after that between the Rangers, Rays, and the Royals. So if if the teams are still close and, you know, Chicago does goes off and does its thing, Minnesota goes off and does its thing, then we could see the division being decided on the, on the last day even. So I'm not saying fully that these nine games will completely solidify it, but it's going to give us a good idea of what team is going to be in the driver's seat come the last week of the season. And I'm going to be up there at the ballpark a couple of times to really try to take in as much as I possibly can. Actually, you know what? No, the, no, I, excuse me, not seven games after the stretch. It's eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, because we still have five games going into October. So 12 mm-hmm. more games heading into the season. That's on me, but it's going to be competitive. No matter what the guardians, I think really needed that, road stretch after losing to Baltimore and Seattle and the ways that they did, the offense was able to churn out more runs and build upon itself more. A lot of big plays were made by younger guys. You saw some big fielding plays from like the likes of Will Benson, who stole a home run in Minnesota the other night and, uh, and class a who, you know, Brian Shaw did his best. He tried to, and that's, those are the, those are the, those are the spots that a veteran like him that's right for. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that he's, he's completely useless. At all. He, no. He's shown in the past, even this season, that he can be a decent guy out of the bullpen. But I'd rather have a guy like him out there with a sizable lead just trying to maintain that lead rather than really have to come on in those key pressure situations like Class A had to do. And Class A even had to, you know, kind of recoup himself a little bit and get that to get that final out. Uh, still one of the top relievers in baseball right now. I believe 32 saves on the season, which is tied or which is close in the top three. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm very curious as to where the Guardians are going to end up. Uh, hopefully it's going to be somewhere very good by the time our next podcast rolls around. And our next podcast should be on the day that the White Sox and Twins stretch begins with the yes. makeup game. So, you know, be lo- be looking out for that episode and be looking out for the rest of the Guardians game. So when we come back, we'll go over more into college football. Not a Not a surprising week in Columbus, but a surprising week nonetheless around the country. Stay tuned after this.
The Furby Electric Supply Company has bright ideas for your home. Save money by converting to energy-efficient electrical products or add ambiance with beautiful lighting features. It begins with a professional consultation and a visit to the Furby Lighting Showroom. Then certified Furby contractors complete your project right and on time. Since 1934, four generations have built a reputation of quality and trust, and they offer emergency services too. Just visit Furby.com. That's F-U-R-B-A-Y. The Furby Electric Supply Company. If you're looking for a new or pre-owned car or truck, why not see the Parkway Auto Group? Parkway is a special group of automotive experts with eight brands to satisfy your needs. Come see the difference at the Parkway Auto Group on Commercial Parkway in Dover. Eight brands and one family. It's Parkway Auto Group. You asked for it and we listened. Buckeye Career Center is now offering Certified Nail Technician as an adult education program. This 216-hour course begins in November and will run Tuesday through Thursday evenings from 5 to 9 p.m. Learn manicures, pedicures, infection control, salon operations, and more. Other part-time certification courses starting this fall include phlebotomy and welding. Call 330-339-2288 to register or visit BuckeyeCareerCenter.org for more information. You deserve the best. And at Ferris Chevrolet Buick Cadillac Toyota, that's what you get. We consider you the customer to be part of our family. Anybody can make promises, but when you visit Ferris, you get the Ferris deal from a Ferris wheel. So if you're looking for a car, truck, or van, think Ferris. And we welcome you back here to the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. Just got done talking some baseball. Let's go over now to college football where, you know, last week, Mitch, we talked about Notre Dame and Ohio State's uh, matchup in Columbus where Ohio State had to kind of really grind out a 21-10 to 10 victory in the second half. There were no there were no such problems this past Saturday. 45-12 to 12 over Arkansas State. Um, the Buckeyes were up considerably big at the half despite having a bit of a scare in the second quarter. C.J. Stroud was... Pretty really good. 351 passing yards, four touchdowns, uh, two touchdowns, by the way, to Trevion Henderson, and then three of them to Marvin Harrison Jr., who had 184 yards receiving, filling in as a number one slot after uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba was sitting out with the injury that he sustained last week against the Irish. Um, I mean, a- any real thoughts on this one, Mitch? Because it just kind of seemed like, yeah, you bring in this smaller team and it's like a tune up game, and you're going to have another tune up game coming up against Toledo. My biggest takeaway was Ohio State either wasn't prepared or wasn't focused in regard to they were very sloppy. Like you said, that second quarter almost scare, Mitch, just very sloppy. I think there was one drive, they had three penalties that allowed Arkansas State to keep the ball and finally move into Ohio State territory yet again. Um, but offensively, and there's a couple of people believe this, my dad being one of them, we talk obviously about every game. He still thinks Ohio State's being pretty vanilla with their offense until they get into Big Ten play just because they don't want to show their hand with everything. And that could very well be a case because you don't necessarily need to show your hand for Arkansas State and Toledo the next two weeks. But no, nothing really to take away. Stroud looked good, 351 yards. Henderson looked good. Marvin Harrison Jr. looked like the guy we expect him to be here um, either this year when J- Jackson Smith and Jigba's back or next year when JSN leaves and, and Harrison will step into the number one role. Um, shout out to Brian Hartline, man. He's recruiting the best wide receivers in the country and they are coming here and they are just, it's awesome. It's awesome because it doesn't matter. You, We're at a point right now where with one wide receiver out, 
the next guy in is just as good. So the other team does not get a break. And it's, that is a huge benefit for your team. And I can't wait to see what these guys do. Once we head into big 10 play here, I believe starting the 24th when Wisconsin comes here, but Toledo this week night game actually at the shoe, which pretty cool for, you know, Toledo, you see a lot of these schools from the Mac in our area, Mitch, they, they, they go and they get these big paychecks and they play these teams and then it ends up covering their athletic budget for, for years to come. Um, but I think it's a little more sweeter when you get paid to go play a team and you end up beating them. I don't, did that happen this weekend? It happened a few times. Uh, uh, oh. The big look the, here's okay. Here's the thing. The big one that happened this week, let's get it out of the way in South bend of all places, Notre Dame falling to Marshall, the thundering herd 26 to 21 uh, Marshall pulling away in that fourth quarter with a couple of key interceptions. One of them brought back for a touchdown that is not the way I think people were expecting the Marcus Freeman era to start off with back-to-back, back-to-back losses. Maybe one loss to Ohio State, fine. This one, no. That's three. He is now 0-3. Yeah, but, okay. you know, last the right. bowl game, right. yeah. But, yeah, that's – oh, that it's painful. And if you're, if you're not a Notre Dame – and I'm not even really a Notre Dame fan. I just see it as oof. But at the same time, there are a lot of people that are reveling in the fact that the Irish are – they might be unranked after the after this week, much okay. like, much like Texas A and M, who lost to Appalachian State seventeen to fourteen. Appalachian State avenged last week's crazy loss to North Carolina with a win, a better win over a top ten school. That that's insane that they were able to pull that off. And to, and A and M took a huge hit with their playoff chances by losing to the Mountaineers. They they did, and and call me crazy, and this could be it's not really a take; it's just more food for thought, but. Could Appalachian State actually be a team that's going to be in the top 25 the rest of the year? I mean, they played North Carolina. Granted, that's probably going to be the craziest game you see all year, right? They scored 40-some points in the the fourth quarter. But you played a a Power 5 team week one, and you were one play away from winning. And then you go to what some people have inside their top 10 hardest stadiums to play in in the country to Texas A&M, and you knock them off. And um, one, Appalachian State apparently is just made for these moments because, as you know, they – are known for going to the big house and knocking off Michigan years ago. Yeah. You do it again. But and then, like you said, you had Marshall Mitch, the other one that, that I think people need to give some, uh, just pay attention to Washington state going to camp Randall at Wisconsin and knocking off the Badgers. I mean, that's another one where you're talking to unranked team getting paid a lot of money to go play a power five team. And Wisconsin comes up and loses 17 to 14 at home. I, to be honest, I thought you were going to say, uh, BYU's double overtime win over Baylor, but that's a good one too because I mean that really helps Ohio State obviously going into their matchup in two weeks. And uh, yeah, good for the Cougars, man. That's a very solid victory, uh, even for a Pac-12 school. The Pac-12 is kind of in a bit of a struggle this year. One of the schools though that's not struggling right now is uh, USC, who beat Stanford, uh, and USC is piling on those points, man. Lincoln Riley looks like he's doing something with that offense that's going to make USC a, a potentially potentially viable Pac-12 school if they can win out the rest of the season. Because you you lose one in this conference, you're done. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking we, of we Michigan, talked, go ahead. I was going to say, we talked last week about this is realistically the Pac-12's only shot. And not only does USC have to win, but Mitch, you said they put on points and put on a lot of them. They, this is style points, right? In the NFL, there is nobody judging you on how you look. It's literally, did you win or lose? And that's how you're getting in. In college football, it is, did you win? How good did you look? And what did you show us? And that's what USC has shown through two weeks. And granted, Lincoln Riley, new head coach there, it always helps. So when you have someone you're familiar with, and he did take Caleb Williams from Oklahoma to USC with him, 
that's looked great through two games. Um, but USC ranked 10th right now. They're obviously going to jump up after there was a couple of losses inside the top 10. Uh, you could be looking at the Pac-12 having, uh, I might be out of pocket here, but having a top five team here within the next couple of weeks if they continue to win and are very impressive. I'm happy you said within a few weeks because I, I was going to say they're not going to make top five at this, at this rate. Maybe top seven or eight, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if a team goes down here, I could easily see them jumping if they continue to win. You mentioned Oklahoma. Let's get let's get to some of the games that obviously were the ones that were expected to win. Thirty three to three over Kent State. We were up three nothing. We we had them for a second and then we didn't. Uh, Michigan beating Hawaii as expected, fifty six to ten. Uh, and of course, the one that was expected to win, but it wasn't expected to be in that way. Top ranked Alabama pulling it out in Austin over the Longhorns, and you know. You feel I feel for Texas fans personally. I don't know about if other people do that, but it's just it felt so close. Quinn Ewers felt so close to becoming the guy for Texas, and now he's out four to six weeks with a hurt uh, with an injury. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, there there are these programs, Mitch, that you hear year in year out that are his you know historic programs. Now, granted, Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame are three ones that no matter who you are, they are three of the most historic college football programs. For the most part, whether you agree or not with Michigan and as much crap as I give them, they are still year in, year out, a powerhouse. I mean, Michigan's worst year under Harbaugh was what, three or four losses? Texas has had years where they, they're they struggling to go 500. And you hear Texas being back, and it looked like this was going to be it. Texas was back, and then Texas wasn't back. And, you know, if Quinn Ewers plays that whole game, do they win? With how he was playing, you have to think so, but... My whole thing goes goes deeper, and you you could say I'm way off base here. Alabama got the calls they needed to survive in this game, and the call that took place in the end zone with was it roughing the passer or targeting or whatever, just to, in my opinion, isn't the correct call. As a, if, One, if it was intentional grounding, he still had the ball, or, or I'm sorry, no. If it was a illegal hit on the quarterback, he was yes. running. Got tackled, but rolled over on a defender yeah. and got back up. He was never down. His body part never touched. But you, it just, it, this is the hard part with college football. You want to protect players, but at the same time, you're starting to literally affect outcome of game because players are taught one thing in football. One speed, your mission is to go make a tackle, hit him hard, get him to the ground. And now you're starting to see plays where guys kind of have to second guess it and they're either missing tackles or that happens and then, you kind of look over at your sideline, like, what am I supposed to do? And it just, you know, Alabama continues to get the benefit of the doubt week in, week out. I think it's hilarious that they only fell one spot to number two. I really do. Um, if this is a lot of other schools that go on the road and have a game like that, I think they slide. Um, I mean, look, Ohio State beat a ranked team. Now, granted, they're own two now after week two, but beat a ranked team at home and slid one spot. Um, and part of that's because Georgia looks so dominant. But for Alabama to go on the road and beat an unranked team by a point, and that team still had their back quarterback in for over half a football. I just, I think it's a joke that they get this, this bias and they stay in the top two. I don't know about that. I mean, yeah, it, it's not a great looking victory for Alabama. I mean, I think, I think the committee's still looking at a school like Texas and they're still going to give them more of a benefit of the doubt than if they had barely beaten a school. Like for example, the team that the Bulldogs beat Samford, if they had beaten Samford 2019, that had been like, what's going on with the school. Right. Um, but I, I can see Georgia should have, gotten to number one they should have gotten to number yeah. one last week um and then alabama and ohio state yeah alabama is gonna have the edge because they started off higher and ohio state just played arkansas state so it's really not that big of a deal 
Um, other matchups we mentioned there. We mentioned the Bulldogs. Clemson won against Furman. Uh, uh, we also had uh, Kentucky upsetting Florida yes, after that, Florida I was gonna upset Utah last week, 26 to 16. Uh, good win for the Wildcats there. You don't see a lot of the, uh, big wins for yeah. them in football. Utah took all their frustration from last week out on Southern Utah, 73 to 7. Scored 38 points in the second quarter alone. Akron got demolished by Michigan State, 52 to zip. Michigan State's a sneaky number 14 right they now. They are. I'm, Mitch, I'm, watch I'm, out. I'm, I'm keeping an eye on them right now. And then of uh, October 8th. Yeah. Ohio State goes on the road to East Lansing. Um, game time not yet decided. And you have to wonder if some of these teams keep tripping up and Michigan State somehow finds themselves around the 10 range. Is that going to be a night game on the road? And that could be a very tough game for Ohio State. Yeah, uh, we also had Tennessee beat, upsetting Pittsburgh, 24 versus 17. And then uh, what was the last one? Oh, yeah, Texas Tech uh, upsetting number 25 with Houston in double overtime. So those are the games that we got to from college football. You got one more? I got one more, Mitch. Georgia Southern knocking off Nebraska. And with that, Scott Frost being fired as head coach of Nebraska. There was the buyout clause, I believe, after week six where Nebraska yeah. would have saved a lot of money. The Cornhuskers athletic department AD said, absolutely not. Not only was that a bad loss to a school that you paid a lot of money to come to here. I'm, I'm full of fun facts today. Nebraska at that stadium in the history of the program, since they've moved to that stadium was 214 and zero when scoring 42 points or more. And Nebraska under Scott Frost was 11. No, they are now 214 and one. Yeah. Nebraska lost 45 to 42 to Georgia Southern. Now Scott Frost is out as head coach of the Cornhuskers, just um, overdue, as some people are already saying, right? This is a move that could have been made last year, maybe two years ago, just because this team never showed improvement in a lot of a lot of parts of the team. But um, that I wanted to make sure we mentioned that because this is that is yeah. something we've talked about through week uh, zero and week one was Scott Frost, Nebraska, and, and now he is gone, and Nebraska has a new interim head coach for the time being and and the Cornhuskers now uh, fire up the rumor mill fire up what coach is it going to be because there's already the rumor out there that it's Urban Meyer um, whether you want to believe that or not but it's just fire up the rumor mill. I just want to make sure I was able to throw that out there to the audience and and make you know make note of that that the one story we had been talking about that nobody really paid attention to this weekend because of all the upsets took place and Scott Frost is gone yeah I'll bet you there's some big 10 officials that might want Urban to go to go to uh to Lincoln, maybe because not only would it bring some some gravitas to the program, even though people thought that's what was going to happen with Frost, but also you know they could probably they could probably schedule a game in Columbus or in Lincoln, you know, between a certain uh, also red wearing school. Um, also, you mentioned that buyout, fifteen million dollars. If they had just waited a few more weeks, it would have been like cut in half, from what I remember. Was it was yep. it really worth that that much more money to get this guy out of your program? You only had to wait a few more weeks. I, I agree, but I think it just goes to show you that they the leash was already short, right? There, Mitch, there was people when they lost to Northwestern in week one after blowing right. two double-digit point leads in yeah. the same game, calling for him to be left in Dublin, Ireland, and not come back as head coach in Nebraska. And they get a win last week. It wasn't pretty. And then this happens. I think, unfortunately, they, they had no choice. And, and and let's be honest, the AD that makes the, the firing, it's not his money right? It's the school's money that goes into the athletic department and they'll get it back eventually. And if it's the right move to hire who they hire now as the replacement and they show improvement and he can get some recruits, then it's ultimately going to be the best thing because you have to remember when a head coach gets fired, his upcoming recruiting class and any future recruits, the recruitment isn't then open if they had signed. 
So maybe Nebraska said, Hey, we like some of these guys that frost has signed to us coming. We got to do this now and try to convince them to stay rather than, you know, you pull, you fire them in week seven. And these guys are just flipping commitments like that, not seeing what this coach can really do. There's plenty of options and opinions out there, but to your point, I mean, yeah, they all they had to do is wait a couple more weeks. Um, but I kind of saw once I saw that final score, I kind of figured it was over for, for Scott Frost. It's like, it's like, it's like uh, the end of a bad relationship and you like move out of the, out of the apartment that you were sharing with and you don't take any of your stuff with you, I guess. That's how spoiled it must've gotten. So, all right, when we go to our final segment here, we'll, we'll, we'll obviously go into, uh, we'll, we'll obviously go into uh, the week in high school football, a lot of big matchups there in week four. So we'll come back right after these messages. We all have 206 things in common. Our bones keep us up and moving. And we at Cleveland Clinic Union Hospital care about every single one of them. From the tip of your finger to a brand new hip, our orthopedic experts will keep you going while keeping you safe. For every break and breakthrough, for every bone and joint, for every care in the world. Get the care you need when and where you need it. Visit unionhospital.org. You invest a lot in your home and vehicle purchases. Van Nostrand Young and Associates want you to feel secure should anything happen to those investments. We partner with providers like Grange Insurance and other industry leaders to be sure you're presented with the most complete coverage to fit your needs. Because we're not only here to protect the items you invest in, we're here to protect your future as well. Call Van Nostrand Young Insurance in North Canton at 330-497-1867. If you're purchasing a new home, the team at Hartzler's Quality Housing is here to help. Take advantage of record low interest rates to make your new home a reality. Locally owned and operated since 1978, Hartzler's Quality Housing has the experience to guide you through the process. You'll find a wide selection of model homes on site to fit any budget. Open six days a week just off I-77. You can also visit them online at Hartzler's.com. Hartzler's Quality Housing. Quality from start to finish. When others treat your fries as an afterthought, all you're left with are cold, soggy fries. That's why Wendy's new fries are ones you won't forget. Guaranteed to be hot and crispy, or we'll replace them. We're talking natural cut, skin-on fries, perfectly seasoned with a hint of sea salt. In fact, they're even preferred almost two to one over McDonald's. These are fries so hot and crispy, they beg a new question. What would you like with your fries? Trying them today, only at Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's, taste preference based on a national taste test by an independent research company. And we're back here on the Big Time Sports Podcast Show. Final segment, Mitch Spinella, Mitchell Balla here talking high school football now as uh, we were, we just got done with week four of the regular season. And uh, Mitch had a very interesting matchup that he was at the other night between the Jackson Polar Bears and the Green Bulldogs. I had Federal League football, Mitch, and it was a thriller instant classic. And if you remember last week in our, our last episode where we previewed the upcoming games, I, I kind of maybe you know foreshadowed uh, the Green Bulldogs are a team that passes. Jackson is a team that is not very great at defending the pass. Jackson, however, is a team that runs the football a lot. And Green is a team that cannot defend the run a lot. And wouldn't you know it, that's exactly what happened in this game. You go back and look at some stats, right? Green ends up winning 29 to 28. And you go back to week three, Green lost 47 to 46 at home to Talmadge in overtime, a game in which Talmadge scored a touchdown and went for two for the win on the road and got it. Green did the same exact thing to defeat Jackson. But Mitch, this was a game that was literally back and forth. Seven, nothing Jackson, seven, seven, 
14-7 Jackson, 14-14 at half. And both offenses scored the way they like to play their game. Green, both uh, touchdowns were through the air. Jackson, both touchdowns were on the ground through Jason Davide. Jackson got the ball to start the second half. Mitch, first play, 80-yard touchdown rush by Jason Davide from the 20-yard line. And at that point, he had 161 yards and two touchdowns. Jackson ended up going up 28-14 to and really had a chance to ice the game late. But give Green and their defense credit. They were bending like no other up against their own goal line and would not break. They got stops when they needed to. Um, Davide ended up taking a hit in one of the second to last drives, I believe. And really that altered how Jackson could try to ice the game and run the clock out because their quarterback only four completions this week for 40 yards. He was four of 11, but let's talk numbers, right? Davide for Jackson. When Jackson was up, it was pretty easy to say that was going to be player of the game. 26 carries for 222 yards and three touchdowns rushing, but green won, Mitch. And they won because of quarterback, Robbie Clockner. Now, if you remember, First segment, I told you Joe Flacco threw the ball 59 times, but that wasn't going to be the most you heard in this podcast episode. Clockner for the Bulldogs threw 67 pass attempts for Green, 43 of 67, 350 yards, three touchdowns passing, one rushing. He also had an interception, but that did not really you know change anything in this game. Green took over inside their own territory. I want to say right around the 10-yard line with less than four minutes to go, I believe, two timeouts, and they had a perfectly executed drive all the way down to fourth and goal at the nine, a ball thrown into the end zone, picked off by Jackson, but not before a late hit was called uh, on the quarterback, giving Green an opportunity from the <clears throat> four and a half yard line. Clockner kept it, ran up the middle, scores on the play. Jackson gets called for a late hit on the quarterback as they they were both airborne, the defenders, the safeties, to hit Clockner trying to keep him out while he was just getting in when the contact happened. They used that on the extra point try. Green elected to go for two and got it. And with 44 seconds left, one timeout for Jackson, who, as I mentioned, had 40 yards through the air. It did not look promising for the Polar Bears, and they did not end up completing the pass. They uh, went four and out, and Green ended up kneeling to win the game. But Green now three and one in their one loss, a one-point loss to Talmadge in overtime, Jackson two and two. But just that's that's why we love high school football, Mitch. There was great games all around the area. I mean, as league play started, Federal League play started. You had a thriller in Lake between Lake and Glen Oak, McKinley and Perry that, you know, our fans could see on the big time sports network as they were there, Troy and Joe Dunn covering that game. Um, but as far for me, best game I've gotten to cover so far out of the four weeks of high school football. But you probably had a thriller down in Tusk County, didn't you? Well, well, first of all, we can you can check out the uh the the recap of Clockner's game for Green and Jackson up on our website, bigtimesportsohio.com. A couple of a couple of notable games in Tuscarawas County this past week. Obviously, <clears throat> Dover ended up moving to 4-0 on the year uh, against Taylor Alderdeach. That one ending up, I believe, 19-6. So it wasn't the highest scoring game, uh, but there were uh, a couple of big moments there for Dover. And uh, as far as the Inter Valley Conference goes, Garraway was thought to have a competitive matchup with Carrollton, but the Pirates ended up, blowing out the Warriors 35 to zip, which was a very interesting matchup. Uh, some of the other ones, a lot, a lot of, a lot of lopsided games for the IVC this week in favor of the IVC for a number of games. Sandy Valley beat Minerva Malvern beat Tusky Valley West branch, put it on Ridgewood, which is very rare for coach John Slusser squad, 35 to 14 uh, Indian Valley beat Cambridge uh, Connaughton Valley uh, beat. They put 50 points on Strasburg. We just had the guys in the studio for the big time sports show 
this past week. And uh, Claymont had a close one against Marietta, 14-0. And New Philadelphia also had a, uh, a close win. Their first win in Ohio Cardinal Conference play, 15-7 over Ashland. Now, Mitch, since you're up in Stark, I want to talk about this other matchup, too, that happened at the Hall of Fame this week. We talked with uh, Perry head coach Zach Slates on the Big Time Sports Podcast show this past week. You can check that out on YouTube. We had the full interview up on its own there. What was it about the Panthers that ended up that helped them get past McKinley in that one? Now the Bulldogs are 0-4 uh, after this oh, week. 0-4 in the first time since 2007 mm-hmm. that McKinley is at this point in the season. And it's just really – McKinley was up 28-17, to Mitch, and – Perry ends up scoring 21 unanswered points to win 38 to 28. And I think it has more to say about the Panthers than it does the Bulldogs, right? Because the Panthers more, more so actually, I, I told you this is pretty much a must win game for McKinley being 0 and three. Now you're looking at trying to run the table, go six and four and have one loss in fed play, have a chance at the title, but that's long season ahead. But for Perry, this was more so getting back on track to where you wanted to be after last year in that kind of just tough transition from Wakefield to Slates at the helm, McKinley came into Perry last year, defeated the Panthers. And I think this Perry team grew up pretty fast. And, and I, Carson Basham, I believe was the big time sports player of the game. Um, and, and Perry with the wing T offense, it's one of the hardest things to defend because you don't see it often. Uh, you really don't. And unless you're accustomed to practicing against it or running it yourself, Teams generally have a tough time with it. And we saw last week at Euclid, it was Church who did all the running for Perry. Now it's Basham. It's literally every other week. Which one is it going to be? But Perry gets a huge win. Now they get to go back home. They'll host Jackson and Mitch. Perry's a team that I didn't really consider to be a team to play a factor here in the Federal League. But as things are starting to, to line up, as we head into week five here, Lake is on paper and just what we've seen so far, clearing away the best team in the federal league. Glen Oak gave him a game at Lake Glen Oaks growing up faster under head coach, Scott Garcia, his second tenure there as the head coach. Perry looks good. And green has, I believe just completely stunned everybody after, like I said, they lost over 20 players from last year's final four team. And they are a young team, but get Robbie Clockner to transfer in the federal league is shaping up to be a lot of fun. And I will be absolutely shocked. I'll go on record right now. I will be shocked if whoever wins the federal league is undefeated in federal league play, because I think the teams are so even across the board up here in Stark County this year that there's going to be some upsets somewhere. And you might be looking at a, potentially at one, two loss federal league champion, if not co-champions, but for McKinley, Mitch, some people are already saying is the sky falling, right? This is a team that the paper covers the most being in Canton Antonio Hall's second season there. And there was a lot of turmoil last year. McKinley fans. It's Okay. You're going to be okay. And if there's one thing I know, I've never been a part of the McKinley-Maslin rivalry, but I am an Ohio State fan. If Ohio State won 0-11 and their one win that year was against Michigan, you would celebrate that. And for McKinley, if something happens and the sky starts to fall, if you go 1-9 this year and your one wins against Maslin, you might not have got the Federal League Championship. You might not have made the playoffs, but that's a pretty damn good prize for what that rivalry has started to turn into recently. But the Bulldogs are still dangerous, Mitch. You can't count them out at any game. And look, it's one loss. You want to get off on the right foot. But if they run the ta- table the rest of the way in Federal League play, they still might end up being Federal League champions. 
Absolutely. And give a quick shout. I want to give a quick shout out to Austin Maddox, who had two touchdowns along with 87 rushing yards uh, for Perry in that win. So, yeah, that's a great, great week four. We'll head to a comp- which is sure to be a competitive week five matchup uh, for many other schools. And uh, obviously, we'll be back here uh, later on this week to be giving you more coverage of local, statewide, and nationwide athletics. So, that is the end of the Big Time Sports Podcast show. For now, we'll be back uh, later on this week. Uh, first of all, obviously, thank you for listening. Be sure to check out the podcast wherever you listen to it, whether it's on you know Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud. We're also on YouTube, obviously, if you're watching it here. Uh, like, share, subscribe, and hit the bell. Uh, obviously, BigTimeSportsOhio.com, uh, BTS Ohio on Twitter, Big Time Sports Ohio on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. Uh, we are also on Facebook. We also have at Mitch Spinell, at Mitchell Bala there, also on Instagram. So, yeah, that is all we have for today. Mitch, what's the fact of the day? The fun fact is the same one I spit at the beginning of the day because it's oh. still Victory Monday last time I checked, Mitch. This is the first – this is the franchise's first win in the Twitter era for the Cleveland Browns. Twitter invented 2006. Browns had not won a season opener since 2004. So just a huge day, monumental day for the Cleveland Browns franchise. Cade York for mayor and the Cleveland Browns are one to know. And maybe your team isn't if you're out there listening, which I can't relate. I was going to say, I think a lot of social, I mean, not just social media platforms, but a lot of things in general that we use every day. Now we're not around when the last time the Browns ended up uh, winning week one. I mean, you mentioned Twitter, Instagram obviously wasn't there. TikTok wasn't a thing. Snapchat wasn't a thing. Facebook was a thing, but it was still very young. Uh, and MySpace obviously there as well. And then obviously some of the things we kind of use in our day-to-day lives. I'm trying to think of some of the things here. I mentioned like Uber wasn't a, a thing back in the day. Uh, uh, we also mentioned a lot of a lot of the streaming platforms as well. I'm not sure if things were like Hulu or Netflix. I mean, Netflix was the, yeah. the DVD guys, but they weren't the streaming guys yet. Uh, but yeah, that's it's really interesting to see a lot of the the changes that have been made since then. So yeah, I'm gonna take my last shot here. All right, thanks for listening, guys, and thank you for watching the Big Time Sports Podcast Show.